Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, July 12, 2010. some time off to actually relax over the weekend. That's something I haven't been able to do in a while. Recharge the battery. Go for a walk. Breathe the fresh outdoor, muggy, hot central Indiana air. Oh, yeah. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy stuff being said out there, and, well, we document it and comment on it and try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And uh, and so this is the program that that your pastor may have warned you about, especially if he's seeker driven. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you follow my letter of Mark blog, I uh, recently and over the weekend I put a blog post up there, asked the question, "Which is your church?" And I got a picture of a of a souped up uh, Harley Davidson motorcycle. And I know some of you uh, motorcycle enthusiasts are not very enthusiastic about Harleys. I did. Uh, in Photoshop, take the name Harley off, although if you're familiar with motorcycles, you would recognize it as a Harley. And uh, and then there was a, a bicycle for kindergartners with training wheels on it. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to look at it. Um, that's all part of something I am – in fact, that's kind of a sneak peek of something that we are working on here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith and uh, more details on that as it comes available. But uh, the the best I could put it is is that we're reworking our newsletter. And uh, and uh, back in a previous life, and you know, back in the day, uh, <laughs> uh, after I graduated from college, I mean, I had a degree in religious studies and biblical languages. The goal was to go to Oxford. That things uh, of. Those plans fell through the cracks. I, what did I do instead? I went into graphic design and desktop publishing. And so I spent many years as a graphic designer and uh, desktop publisher. And uh, so I, one of the things I have been wanting to do, and that is is to start publishing. Uh, you know, we've done it a few times. If you uh, follow the podcast stream uh, using iTunes, uh, then you've seen that uh, we uh, we on a couple of occasions we've actually put out a newsletter uh, having a couple of things. Well, what I've what I'm doing is 
We're going to try to publish the newsletter with a little bit more regularity. You'll get it through the podcast stream, and we'll announce it so that you can get it other ways as well. And um, and and what I'm trying to do is put some nice, high-end, almost magazine-like looking uh, layout to it uh, because it's uh, I have I've I've had the software to do this for years, and I uh, haven't really been using that software. And I've and I, 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 for lack of a better way of putting it, my artistic bug uh, is uh, is coming out, and so I I I've, I felt like being creative. You know, maybe all this talk from these innovative, risk taking CEO pastors has <laughs> has awoken something inside of me. Uh, anyway, so the 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 idea is to combine good uh, theological uh, writings and articles with good design it just well i mean that's the idea so rather than looking like a stuffy old theological journal not that there's anything wrong with that i mean there that you know i i thought what, it would be interesting to see if you can actually take a good theological writing and and mix it with uh magazine like design plus uh i wanted to put together put it in a format that that would look good on uh, the new iPad technology. So uh, those of you with iPads, hopefully this will look good. We'll find out when uh, when the time comes, when it comes time to publish. And so uh, working on uh, th- things of that nature, I'm a little bit tired because I, I did finally get back into my exercise routine. Muscles are nice and good and sore. Yes, sir, Rebob. So we've uh, begun the cycle again, hopefully. <laughs> It'll it'll last long enough to make a difference, so I'll I'll keep you posted. But I, I, it, now that we you know are embracing post modernity here at Fighting for the Faith, then you should know that it's official. I have announced this before that I am an underweight fat guy because words don't mean anything anymore. <sighs> anyway, with that in mind, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I'm looking at my notes here, and I've got things like strewn all over the. Uh, the desk here. Uh, let's see here. I've got an email that I want to read that I thought was really clever. It's uh, from Ted. In, it's uh, from Ted in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, he wanted to weigh in on um, on uh, William Tapley, the uh, the so-called third eagle of the apocalypse. He, I thought this was a clever email, so I want to pass this along to you. And uh, and then let's see here, Ed Young Jr. Um, he once again he's uh, he's made it back into uh, he's now a multi exhibit uh, pastor in the museum of idolatry and uh, he's got a new v- video that he's put together for the upcoming hillsong conference and i just asked the question is ed young junior moonlighting as a rapper i just i i want to know we'll listen to part of ed young junior's rapping skills Apparently, the auto-tuner is a very important thing for Ed Young, and uh, we'll take a look at that. And then I got the question, is Robert Schuller retiring or not? I mean, I've got two contradictory stories here, one from the Associated Press and the other from the Christian Post, and I, I can't make heads or tails of it. I mean, is he in or is he out? Is he retired or not retired? I Anyway, yeah, we'll have to answer that question. And uh, let's see here. We've got news. Uh, University of Illinois lecturer was fired for saying that homosexual uh, homosexuality acts are morally wrong. Interest, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that story, and then we'll take a look at the language being used in it. Uh, something I want to hone in on there. 
And then we got news out of the UK. Uh, Archbishop, uh, now, <clears throat> I could cover the uh, the story about women's ordination and the Anglican uh, meetings that have been taking place this past week. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I mean, it, they... <laughs> We could talk about the PCUSA. We might talk about the PCUSA. But, I mean, pretty much those of you who are are confessional or who are, consider yourselves to be biblical, you actually believe that the Bible is the inerrant, authoritative, inspired word of God and that it has the final say in, in such matters. I mean, you, you basically you look at these things and you just roll your eyes and shake your head and go, the church has gone completely bonkers it's it's it, the the church is stark raving barking mad i that's all the the only way i can describe it but uh the the story i chose to instead focus on today is that the uh, bishop of york has said that blind pursuit of profit must end blind pursuit of profit yeah that's right uh, yeah we got to just stop blindly pursuing profit mm-hmm and as somebody who has a, a, an MBA, that's a master's degree in business administration, I know a thing or two about profit. And I know also from personal experience how long businesses stay in business if they're not profitable. And so I'm going to just take on some of the ideas in that one. And then for our sermon review in hour number two today, uh, it's from Granger Community Church up there at the top of uh, Indiana. Granger, Indiana, and um, they are they along with other seeker-driven uh, churches, uh, you know, have it's it, it, this is that time in their liturgical calendar where you don't preach on the Bible, you preach on movies, and uh, and so uh, Mark Beeson up there at Granger Community Church, along with the other seeker-driven churches, you know, uh, recognizing that this is uh, the movie season, or the season of movies is probably because you know, what we it, if, for those of you who follow a. Uh, a traditional liturgical calendar, you know, this is the Pentecost season or the season of Pentecost. And then, you know, as things wind down at Pentecost, then we get into Advent and then we go into Epiphany and then we have Lent and then the Easter season. Um, it, but uh, see, in the uh, seeker-driven uh, liturgical calendar, the one that they follow, uh, the summertime, the, during the summer slump, uh, then that's the time, to, that's movie preaching season. And so they've got a sermon that they've uh, just had that just went out on the the movie The Born Identity. Now The Born Identity, I mean this is not a brand new movie, but apparently uh, Mark Beeson there at Granger Community Church, I mean in you know in keeping with the seeker-driven liturgical church calendar, um felt that this was an important movie for them to be preaching on. And uh, if, if, you, if you normally tune out uh, to bad sermons here at Fighting for the Faith, stay tuned for this one. The reason why I think you should stay tuned has to do with the fact that Mark Beeson has just an awful, terrible, terrible uh, theology and doctrine of sin in this one that is just that will uh, make you stand up and have a big question mark appear over your head and you're going to go, what? Yeah, this is and this and and you know I can say this. This is this is a growing idea, a growing false doctrine in seeker-driven churches, as it pertains to talking about our sinful nature and what the solution is to our sin problem. And so uh, this uh, this um, and if you you know if you're familiar with the movie uh, The Born Identity. You can already begin to start to piece together what that puzzle might look like when we get into the sermon review today. So, 
that's it's going to be an important uh, sermon review, so stay tuned, and uh, you don't want to miss it. With that in mind, we're going to dive into the uh, the program proper, and you know what that requires me to do? It it requires me to cue up the uh, our my my email segment music, but I. <laughs> I ended up putting all of my notes all over my computer screen. You know, what's the point of having a laptop if you can't use it to actually prop up papers? So, uh, oh, man, with that, uh, let's dive into it. Here's our email segment. All right, this email comes to us from Ted in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Ted in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Ted, thank you for letting us know where you were from. And he is, um, oh, man. (laughs) Okay, yeah, he's... uh, even included Hebrew in this email. Okay, this uh, the, he's uh, weighing in on the William Tapley, uh, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse segment that we recently played here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. And uh, Ted writes, he says, Dear Chris Rosebro, hey, you just called me Chris Rosebro. I mean, no one ever calls me that. Anyway, uh, he says, no one laughed harder than I did when you played your YouTube clip of William Tapley's prophetic interpretation of recent events on Wednesday's Fighting for the Faith. But before my own chuckling died down, you know, a nagging feeling set in. You know, it continued to gnaw at me. What if William Tapley is right? I, I couldn't sleep. So, uh, so I undertook a quick survey of current events, and I think Tapley may be on to something. Now, if you bear with me, I think you'll find that today's top news stories almost invariably testify to the imminent downfall of the Roman Catholic Church. For instance, item number one, Lindsay Lohan sentenced to 90 days in jail. Now, who cares, right? Well, well, not so fast. Legal pundits have opined that, with good behavior, Miss Lohan's sentence could be reduced by up to four weeks. That would result in a jail jail stay of 62 days, precisely the length of the pontificate of Pope Innocent IX in the year 1591. Though he barely had time to break into his new mitre before signing off, the improbably named Innocent doggedly supported Philip II and the Catholic League against Henry the... (laughs) Henry IV of France in the wars of religion, and though the pontiff would not live to see it, King Henry, a Protestant Huguenot, eventually reverted to Romanism, thus sentencing the Gaelic people to nearly a half a millennium of spiritual darkness presided over by the Vatican. Could Miss Lohan's incarceration prove a sign that there will now be some payback for the Holy See? You make the call. Ted, I just want you to know that reading this email on the air is really painful for me. I want you to know that, that I just inside I am dying that I am even reading this stuff on the mail. But this is so cleverly written. I have to read it. Now, item number two, Spain versus Holland in world in the World Cup final. Um, now, this one is so obvious, it's easy to miss. As any student of European history can tell you, Holland was ruled by Spain for most of the 16th century, declaring its independence in 1581. 
though it would take the largely Protestant Dutch, uh, Dutch two generations to get the Spaniards off their backs, they effectively threw off the oppression of, most, of the most Catholic nation in the world. Should Holland win the World Cup this Sunday, and I believe that they will. By the way, I think Spain won this. Uh, then you can best believe that God is foreshadowing the eminent extermination of the spiritual oppression of the Roman Church, and who knows, maybe a revival in the Dutch Reformed Church will follow. This is crazy. <laughs> You're too good at this, Ted. Item number three, the Gulf oil spill. Now, Tapley mentions this in his YouTube rant, but he misses a key biblical reference. <laughs> in Micah 6-7, we read, quote, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of oil? A timely question if there ever was one. <laughs> Oh, Ted, you have got to start doing this more often. Oh, my goodness. I think we all know that what, what, what the implied answer is. And neither I nor Mr. Tapley should have to tell you. But uh, look just a few verses further, and, and we read in verse 10, quote, Am I still to forget, O wicked house, your ill-gotten treasures? Pay dirt. Who could deny the connection between ill-gotten gains and the Roman Catholic Church? They have so much stuff. Oh, boy. Item number four, the Dow hits 10,000. Last week, Wall Street got a much-needed boost as the Dow Jones went over 10,000 for the first time in six years. 10,000. Hmm. That's a pretty grand number, isn't it? <laughs> One might say biblical in its magnitude. 10,000 is also a myriad, and the only Bible verse to use that word is Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. The Hebrew word marabah has an interesting entomology, to say the least. Its root word uh, Mara means rebellious or disobedient, and it is also the derivation of the names Miriam and Mary. According to Roman Catholic dogma, Mary, the mother of God, Rome's term, not mine, was never rebellious or disobedient, had no need of a savior, and is qualified to serve as a co-redemptrix, a blasphemous heresy of the first order. Order. Marian devotion is clearly a form of idolatry, one that has endured for centuries. But check your watches, my friends. God will not book these shenanigans, book these shenanigans much longer. And if he wants to use the New York Stock Exchange in order to tip off alert believers, then so be it. And item number five. Oh, and this is the last one. Chris, even NASCAR is getting into the act, propelling us toward the downfall of Rome with all 12 cylinders, if you will. According to the NASCAR.com website, the driver currently in 40th place in the Sprint, comes, uh, Sprint, Sprint Cup standings is Max Papis, whose last name is a cognate of our English term Pope. And how many Sprint Cup points does the Pope have in this time? Well, get ready to call Hal Lindsey because this driver has 666 points. <laughs> what more proof do you need that the papacy is the Antichrist? Well, that concludes my report. The evidence is overwhelming, Chris. I'm going to have to get a new filing cabinet. Now, having done, this leg, having done the legwork on this, I would like to be known by my new title, Parking valet of the apocalypse. <laughs> I remain yours, Ted from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Well, there you have it. Uh, Ted, I've got to, 
I got to hand it to you. That was a brilliant email. And from now on, I will continue to refer to you as Ted, the parking valet of the apocalypse. So if you would like to uh, send us your prophetic prophetic utterances in the in the future, please feel free. I mean, all of the, from the Lindsay Lohan sentence to the Spain versus Holland in the World Cup final, to even your prophetic insight into the Gulf oil spill, as well as the uh, as the the Sprint Cup standings. I mean, I I missed all of these spiritual and prophetic um, signposts. And if it wasn't for you, uh, Ted, the parking valet of the apocalypse. Uh, neither myself nor our, the, my listeners here at Fighting for the Faith would have been blessed by these prophetic insights. Thank you again. Great email. Oh, man, I feel like having this one bronze. Okay, moving along into the just strange but strange um, category. Uh, if you uh, follow the, uh, if you uh, subscribe to the RSS feed at the Museum of Idolatry, that's I am. By the way, I am the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. In fact, I am absolutely convinced that I now have the world's largest collection of artifacts of apostasy, and uh, if, if collected in anywhere in the entire world. I mean, having done this now uh, three, four years. Um, you know, I've got over 1,500 exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry, and all of each exhibit contains an artifact of apostasy. Uh, the the latest exhibit to to make it into the museum uh, is a YouTube uh, rap video put together. Well, it, it was created by Ed Young Jr. of Fellowship Church down there in uh, the Greater Fort Worth, uh, Texas area, and. Uh, you have to see this to believe it, but Ed Young Jr., he's wearing really, really large kind of insect-like um, sunglasses. He's got a black V-neck shirt on with a huge honking gold dollar symbol on, you know, necklace thing hanging around his neck. And his left arm looks like he's got uh, a whole it's been basically tat- tatted up i i haven't you know, I, d- I had no idea ed young jr had a tattoo but his entire left arm i mean from his wrist all the way up to the uh, shirt line has got some kind of a tattoo thing going on there and they, they call those things sleeves and my question is is ed young jr moonlighting as a rapper um as when you uh when i play this listen carefully um it's obvious that uh, he sounds like um uh oh what was her name uh it's not war- she's not dead yet um share that's oh my god can't believe i forgot that name share uh, if you've listened to share's recent songs i don't know if the, how recent they are it's obvious that share apparently uses an auto tuner and uh yeah, nothing like listening to share um Using an auto tuner. Well, the next best thing to share using an auto tuner. Well, it's Ed Young Jr. But anyway, you'll you'll hear it as when I play the audio. But I, when I play this, just you know, I'm asking the question: Is Ed Young Jr. moonlighting as a rapper? Now, I understand it must be tough making those monthly payments on the church's jet when attendance at Fellowship Church is dropping, and more and more expose stories keep popping up at the lo- on the local nightly news. But you know. 
Don't worry. If you think that things, uh, if you think if things look like they're about ready to crumble, Ed Young Jr. can take a whole, uh, take it to a whole nother level. If you know what I mean, sporting a new sleeve, trying desperately to make it look like he can flash gang signs, like the boys who actually did grow up in the hood. Uh, Ed Young Jr. is now shilling for the heretical Hillsong gang. Yeah, the Hillsong group down in Australia. He, this is the video is all about them. Um, the uh, only word that comes to my mind as I watch this video is desperate. It's, is this Ed's night, uh, new night job? Now we wonder, uh, what his rapper persona stage name is, you know, cause that's the thing. I mean, Ed Young Jr., you know, I mean, he needs a rapper persona name. And so I was thinking, you know, a couple of, uh, maybe three possible, uh, rapper names for, uh, Ed Young, maybe, um, inauthentic would be one. Yeah. Uh, the you know the rapper known as inauthentic, or uh, how about this cover up? I think that'd be a great rapper name for Ed Young Jr. Or my favorite one, narcissist. I think he would be you know, wise to uh, adopt one of these three rapper names for himself. But basically, here's the here's the issue. When you watch this video, you're gonna hear the audio here in just a minute. But when you watch this video, I mean, <clears throat> folks, Ed Young Jr. is an old white pastor. He didn't grow up in the hood. He he grew up in Texas in the burbs. I mean, so here we've got an old white pastor in some kind of an outrageous rapper costume with a big dollar sign hanging around his neck. You know, the, the symbolism of that, I mean, I don't think it's an accident. I think Ed Young is basically making it clear it's all about the money. Anyway, so an old white pastor plus a rapper costume and plus new tattoos does not equal authentic or relevant. In fact, this whole thing is rather pathetic. So without any further ado, here is the uh, Fighting for the Faith preview, a premiere of Ed Young Jr.'s uh, Hillsong rap. Welcome to Hillsong Conference 2010. Let's let the party begin. Everybody on your feet in the Acer Arena, in the upper deck, on the floor, hands up in the air. A short black and I'm back on track Full on in the Acer Arena We're making some noise like a pack of hyenas Pack of hyenas Brian and Bobby Shrimps on the Bobby Leadership is hobby Don't try to copy Bobby and Tala are in a galactic Got Brian Houston saying Fantastic Gonna hear from the Holy Ghost Fingers ready for another blog post. Gonna make you move, gonna make you shimmy. I'm telling you what's the skinny on the gimme. <sighs> Is it possible to have him cited? You know, maybe get a ticket or something? Like, you know, send the police over to his house and cite him with the conduct unbecoming of a pastor? I mean, this is just awful. Yo, song worship is the rave. Joel's on a Bondi wave. United always bringing the rock. Got 
more bite than a great white shark. Golly, check, ain't no fool. Taking young, lead us to school. Hillsong College, where you at? Can I get a PhD with that? Skinny jeans anointed, shoes appointed, hair is red. I got my V-neck. Hillsong Conference 2010. Somebody let the party begin. Maybe I, you know, I, I hope he got paid for this because, you know, I understand, you know, making the payments on his crib is, you know, more difficult now that uh, attendance is dropping at Fellowship. It's an ancient L. We're fighting hell. Somebody ring the bell. Let me hear you yell. In from Cape Town, it's yours truly. Trying to look dooley. It's Phil Dooley. Gary Clark. Uh, okay, I just wow, boring. Oh, ooh, my brain is is. I think it might be melting just from overexposure to this song. Oh, this is awful, folks. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Going to the city of hustle. You know he's going to flex his muscles. Your song going to NYC. Take Joel Wood and Brian. Y'all crazy? Y'all crazy? Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Saddleback Customer Service, this is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that?
Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so, and the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR, or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, if you are an old white pastor trying to be hip and relevant by putting together a rap video, it's not going to work. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, when you get there. You'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Yes, seriously. I mean, why is it that people are putting up with these shenanigans from their pastors? Seriously. 
I mean, I, I I have no idea what has happened to Ed Young, but I mean, he is just off in bizarro land, and he's teaching other pastors that this is what it means to be a pastor. This is uh, it's just ridiculous. Do they not understand that Christians are not to bite, basically follow the culture, but that we have a message that is countercultural? Yeah, it, it really is. It truly is countercultural. And ay ay ay, just this is just ridiculous. Anyway, moving along, I, my, I I've got to cue this up. From the Indianapolis Star, headline reads: uh, Reverend Schuler to turn over ministry to his daughter. This is an Associated Press story, but then my question comes up. Uh, if uh, Schuler's to turn over the ministry to his daughter, then why is the Christian Post saying that um, that his retirement isn't true? Uh, yeah, um, you see, I, this, so competing story here. This came out today from the Christian Post by Audrey Barrick, uh, Crystal Cathedral founder not retiring. <laughs> huh? All right, let me. Uh, <clears throat> Let me read the from the Indianapolis Star, the uh, the Associated Press story. After 55 years in the pulpit, he will lead the board of Crystal Cathedral, Garden Grove, California. The Reverend Robert H. Schuler, founder of Southern California's Crystal Cathedral megachurch and host of the Pow- Hour of Power televangelism broadcast, announced Sunday that he will retire after 55 years in the pulpit and his daughter will take over. If there was any doubt in your mind that Robert Schuler was a heretic, this should seal the deal for you. <clears throat> there is no such thing as a biblical pastrix. Uh, the 83-year-old Schuler told his congregation that Sheila Schuler Coleman will become sole lead pastrix after sharing that role with her father for the past year. Coleman was principal of a private school run by the cathedral and head of the Orange County Church's Family Ministries Division. She was ordained just a month before she was appointed to head up the Crystal Cathedral Ministries. Quote, I'm very proud that Sheila has earned her doctorate at the University of California, Irvine, and that this university has declared her to have earned a Distinguished Alumnus Award, Schuler told his congregation during the 9.30 a.m. service. Congratulations. I'm very proud of her. The elder Schuler will assume the newly created position of chairman of Crystal Cathedral's uh, consistatory, which is the church's board of directors, the Orange County Register reported. Coleman's appointment comes two years after Schuler's son, the Reverend Robert A. Schuler, split from the church during a family rift that made headlines. The younger Schuler has been groomed to take over for his father. Robert A. Schuler is now part of the Dallas based American Life Network, a cable channel aiming to produce family oriented programming programming. Coleman, uh, 59, lives in Orange uh, with her husband, Jim, and has four grown children. Okay, so uh, that's from the Associated Press, by the way, from today's Associated Press. But same day uh, in the Christian Post, Crystal Cathedral founder not retiring. Contrary to several media reports, Crystal Cathedral founder, the Reverend Robert H. Schuler, is not retiring. An announcement on Sunday that Schuler's daughter, Sheila Coleman, has become the official senior pastor of the Southern California megachurch sparked confusion. 
Um, yeah, um, yeah. Just by way of since we live in post-modernity now and words don't mean anything, if you announce to the world that so-and-so is now the official senior pastor of a particular church, you are basically saying that that person who's now the official senior pastor is the one who will be taking over the preaching responsibilities. You know, that's what senior pastors do. Um, Quote, Dad is not retiring, the 59-year-old pastrix told the Los Angeles Times. For the past year, Coleman has been co-leading the 10,000-member church with her father on Sunday. They announced that her role as senior pastor was officially affirmed by their denomination, the Reformed Church in America. Schuler's retirement from the senior pastor position is nothing new, Coleman pointed out. The 83-year-old pastor, who is known for his positive sermons, <clears throat> heretical sermons, that's, you know, they're positive, all right. Yes, they, they'll make you feel good about yourself as you drift and join the the broad highway to hell. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the, uh, positive sermons. Ah, there we go. The 83-year-old pastor who is known for his positive sermons left the position in 2006 when his son Robert A. Schuler took over. The younger Schuler resigned a couple of years later following disagreements over the direction of the church's popular Hour of Power television program. In 2009, the Crystal Cathedral announced that the eldest Schuler child, Coleman, uh, would co-lead the church with her father. After officially assuming, assuming her role as senior pastor, Coleman commented on Sunday, Dad feels good uh, and, uh, that I get to do all of the hard work for him, but she made it clear that her father will still help lead the church and continue to preach. Quote, I want Dad to be here until the day that he dies in this pulpit. She said, so apparently she's expecting him to die while he's in the pulpit. That would be quite interesting television, don't you think? <clears throat> so he's retiring but not retiring. He's in charge but not in charge. He's there but he's not there. This is, yeah, well, it sounds to me like they're doing more than trying to figure out how to run a church. They're trying to protect their little media television empire. <sighs> And I don't wish them the best of luck because they don't preach the biblical gospel. Anyway, moving along here, uh, let's see here. Uh, which one do I want to do first? This one's a short one from the Huffington Post. Um, headline reads, University of Illinois lecturer fired for saying homosexual acts are morally wrong. Now, the thing I like about this is that he didn't say homosexuality is wrong and the reason why I'm I'm glad that it it was phrased this way is because we Christians have got to tighten up our language when we talk to talk about the homosexual issue and the reason why is because the general culture firmly believes that homosexuality is a god-given orientation that somebody if they're born with a well if they're born with an attraction towards people of the same sex that that's how God made them. And so when they hear the term homosexuality, that's what they think. So we've got, as Christians, we've got to be very clear and careful how we talk about the issue of homosexual acts and homosexual sex and homosexual orientations and things like that. Now, as a Christian, uh, as Christians, it's perfectly fine for us to say, listen, we completely understand that in the fall that man's human nature is so radically corrupted that 
that people can be born with with what would appear to be a natural attraction towards people of the same sex. And despite the fact that that might seem natural, that that is really in contrary to what God has is made it, us to be and is a symptom of man's cor- fall into corruption as a result of man's rebellion against God. It, it's, a, it's a result of the doctrine of original sin. So here's the deal. Sin being the variety uh, opportunity striker that it is, attacks different people different ways. Some people, it's easier for them to fall down in, in, in sinful ways that other people might e- more easily resist. Don't have a problem with that. So when we, you got to be careful when we talk about the issue of homosexual sex and things like that. We need to talk about the act. And if we start talking about this, this attraction, we have to attribute that att- attraction biblically to man's corrupt and fallen sinful nature. And that, and see, people say, well, if I'm born that way, it must be good. No, it doesn't mean that you're good at all. You need to read your Bible. <sighs> Okay, so let me read. Uh, For many professors, the classroom is a place free of ideological persecution, that is, except for a recent fired religion lecturer at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. The News Gazette reports that Kenneth Howell was fired after making a series of comments on the Catholic Church's stance on homosexuality, after Howell explicated the Church's view that homosexual acts are morally wrong in class a student complained to the department's chair. <laughs> he said that homosexual acts are evil and sinful. You need to get rid of him. I don't want to hear that ever again. And what happened? The guy lost his job. According to the email, uh, to the email obtained by the News Gazette, the student charged, quote, teaching a student about the tenets of a religion is one thing. Declaring that homosexual acts violate the natural laws of man is another. No, it's not. The courses at this institution should be geared to contribute to the public discourse and promote independent thought, not limit one's worldview and ostracize people of a certain sexual orientation. Now, this is interesting. Just listen carefully to the student's complaint. The courses at this institution should be geared to contribute to the public discourse. So apparently the public discourse on the issue of homosexual sin and homosexuality is only positively moved forward as long as the view, the biblical view, that homosexual acts are sinful is not spoken in the public discourse. That That's where we're at nowadays, folks. Yeah, the, the, we, we, we want the public discourse to continue without that view being represented. And if you dare to speak it, you will lose your job. Hal, on the other hand, maintains that his job as a lecturer of Catholicism requires that he teach the tenets of the religion, and the fact that he is a practicing Catholic does not infringe upon that obligation, although he claims that he framed his words as an opinion and never forced them on any of his students. He was still terminated from his positions. Uh, Hal's firing is not the first instance whereby a professor has been canned for stating his or her beliefs in the classroom. In January 2000, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the, um, aren't college campi supposed to be places where different 
ideas are represented and different views and opinions are expressed where it's supposed to be a safe environment where you can engage in these kinds of conversations. Apparently not anymore. Uh, there's only certain views that are welcome in uh, in particular college campuses. And if you dare to speak contrary to the approved opinions, you will lose your job. <sighs> anyway, moving along. Now, this one's kind of interesting. Um, from the, uh, hang on a second here, Blind Pursuit. Here we go. From the uh, Christian Post, this is by Maria Mackey of the Christian Post. Uh, headline reads, Blind Pursuit of Profit Must End, says Archbishop. Now, I know something about profits, by the way. I have a master's degree in business administration. With that in mind, let's dive into this. Dateline London, the Archbishop of York, has hit out at the selfish pursuit of profit and called for a return to the pursuit of social justice and generosity as a means to building a truly wealthy nation. Oh, good night. Addressing the Church of England's General Senate in uh, York on Saturday, Dr. John uh, Sentamu said it was understandable that governments want to achieve economic recovery after two years of financial crisis, but stressed that recovery should be regarded as a means to an end rather than an end in itself. Although he said wealth creation was a good thing, he said an obsession with wealth was evil and that society should pursue economic justice rather than solely profit. Quote, as governments and businesses pursue economic recovery, it is our job to keep reminding them uh, that the uh, purpose of that recovery is to establish the conditions for human flourishing, he said. There's a real risk that in focusing on the aim of economic recovery, we come to regard it as an end in itself rather than as a means to an end. Okay, give me, hold on a second here. Hold on a second. Just stop, 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 stop. Okay, I just I got to question some presuppositions and, and a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in this thing. Number one, each and every one of you listening to this program, who manages your finances in such a way that you earn more than you spend? That's right. If you If you personally, okay, each and every one of us individually, when we go to work, Okay, we are selling our skills on the open market for a price. And if you are able to secure a, a job whereby the person who's employed you or contracted your services pays you a particular amount of money month after month, week after week, year after year for what you do for that company, and you in turn then go and spend less than what you earn for your services on a monthly basis and you have a surplus, that's a profit. Okay, that's a profit. That's not evil. That's a smart. That's wise. That's the right thing to do. Reason being if is because if you were to instead on a monthly basis, spend more than you earn, it's just a matter of weeks before you begin to go into debt. If you don't operate a business or your own personal finances with the idea of keeping and earning a profit, 
earning more than you spend, then it's just a matter of time before you are saddled with crushing debt. Debt is something that enslaves people. Earning a profit or desiring to earn a profit is not evil. It's smart and wise stewardship of the finances and resources that God has given you. For instance, if I had decided, you know, to keep Pirate Christian Radio basically based in San Clemente, California, or, you know, San Juan Capistrano, California, where where we originally began, uh, Pirate Christian Radio would not be here today. The reason being is that the expenses needed to keep Pirate Christian Radio solvent on a month-to-month basis would have been so astronomically high had we stayed in a coastal Orange County town that Pirate Christian Radio wouldn't exist to this wouldn't exist today. We don't bring in that much money. So was it evil for me to have as a motive to reduce the expenses that this radio station incur, occur, incurs on a monthly basis in order that we could have a better shot of surviving? In other words, making more money on a monthly basis than we were spending? Absolutely not. I am sick and tired of people in the church and other places acting like they've got the moral high ground when they all they have to do is invoke the evil profit motive. Well, if you think that operating at a profit or having a motive to operate a business or your own personal life at a, quote, profit is evil, then go ahead and do it the other way. Go ahead and do it the other way. You go ahead and on a monthly basis, be consistent. Spend more than you take in so that you are not, so that you are not tempted by the evil profit motive. You see, folks, there's nothing inherently evil with a profit. And on top of it, when we talk about businesses operating at a profit or having a profit motive, that that those profits ensure that those businesses are here tomorrow and can continue to serve the community and to serve their neighbors through the jobs that they create, through the stockholders that they uh, provide dividends to through the through their contribution to the economy. Profits are not an evil thing. It, it, there's nothing inherently evil with profits at all, and it's there's nothing in there's nothing evil about a, a publicly held company wanting to earn profits. It helps people. It helps retirement plans. It helps the economy. It helps serve their neighbor. It's a smart thing to do. And we've got to get away from and start start challenging these yahoos who are out there on religious grounds attacking evil profit motives. I mean, seriously. I mean, saying that having a profit motive is evil is like basically saying it's evil for you to want to continue to live tomorrow. You know, to eat enough food so that your body doesn't starve and die. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. 
Prophets are not evil. When you take prophets and you obsess and you turn money into your God, well, then there's a problem. That's called idolatry. But there's nothing, nothing inherently evil or wrong with wanting to make sure that you have a financially healthy position for yourself, either in your personal finances or in the companies that you run or a part of. Because unless a a company operates at a profit, companies cease to exist. And companies that, that cannot continue to exist, the people that they have hired and working for them, they go, they lose their jobs. So it's time for us to stop this nonsense, especially from people in the religious community, from from people. My my question for this Archbishop uh, of York is: How many businesses has he run? Uh, seriously, how many companies has he built? How much time has he spent in the corporate trenches? How much? How much do you want to bet? More than likely, what he what he has done is he went to college and then went into the clergy, into the ministry, and then into, into the church bureaucracy and other things like that. And he has never had in his entire life to make a profit in order to exist or to build a company or anything like that. And yet he has is taking the moral high ground, basically saying that what we need to do is we need to we need to make profits for it so that we can engage in social justice. Really? Really? Can you show me that in the Bible, please? Show me where the scriptures teach that. Instead, we're to be wise stewards with the with with the resources that God has given us. And it's unwise and foolish to spend more than you take in every month. Because then you destroy your financial situation, you destroy your company, and companies that fail end up hurting other people in the economy. Just something to consider. Okay, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Hello, this is Reverend Matt Slick, President and Founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. I wanted to let you know about our online schools of theology, apologetics, and critical thinking. Each school has been developed out of my more than 30 years of experience as a teacher, author, and defender of the Christian faith. With these schools, you can learn what you need to know about the Christian faith, how to defend it, and how to promote the gospel. The three schools are very easy to use, and you can go through them at your own pace. They're designed with short, succinct lessons that include topics such as Christian doctrine, the Bible, evangelism, the cults, atheism, evolution, Islam, logic, and critical thinking. Each lesson is followed by questions that you answer in a self-paced fashion. So, in order to grow in your Christian faith, please visit CARM.org, that's C-A-R-M dot O-R-G, and click on the link for the online schools at the top of the page. And enter the code PIRATE to receive a 10% discount. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. As we continue with the uh, <clears throat> the new church season known as movie preaching season. You've heard of Advent, Lent, Epiphany, Christmas. Well, we've got a new one. Movie preaching season. Uno momento. I need to cue up my sermon review music. good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Granger Community Church, Granger, Indiana. One of the premier purpose-driven churches on planet Earth. Sermon presented by the Reverend Mark Beeson. The name of the sermon... The Born Identity. Yes, they're preaching it on the movie The Born Identity. Yeah, because, you know, when I see The Born Identity, the first thing that comes to my mind is Jesus. In the Bible, I mean, that's the first thing that I think of when I think of The Born Identity. You know, as he's using those really cool ultra-impressive spy moves to kill people with only a, a 
pair of fingernail clippers and a paper clip. I mean, um, it's just amazing. I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is Jesus. <sighs> Let me kill the music. I think you get what I'm saying. Without any further ado, the thing you want to listen to before I dive into this, the thing you want to listen carefully for on this is what Mark Beeson does with the doctrine of sin and what our problem is and what the solution is. Talk about soft-pedaling sin. Wait till you hear what he does with um, this. So here is uh, the born identity, Do You Know Who You Are? Mark Beeson, Granger Community Church. (laughs) Well, we're on a mission, and we're on a mission together. We've got an assignment from Almighty God, and today it's important for us to lean in and consider what is it that God has called us to do? Who is it God has called us to be? Who are we? When it comes right down to it, who are you? If you forget who you are, you're prone to make the worst mistakes and the worst choices of your life. In fact, I would guess that if I... Okay, did you hear that? If you forget who you are, you're prone to making mistakes. So apparently, just let's extrapolate this right right here, right now. The reason why you sin is because you've forgotten who you are. Really. I could ask you individually, when did you mess up the worst? When did you make your worst choice, your worst decision, take your worst step, do the worst deed? My guess is it was a time when you forgot who you were. So I, I'm supposed uh, so based upon my worst. Yeah, you see the thing is is that I'm so sinful that even my good works can send me to hell. Yeah, it's that's the problem. Is is that even my good works cuz they're not done perfectly from perfectly pure motives. They're tainted with sin. Yeah, is the reason why even my good works can send me to hell due to the fact that I've forgotten who I am? I don't think so. My mother used to tell me again and again who I was. You're part of this family. You're going to do what we do in this family. We don't do that in our family. What? I just did it. I know. That's why we, you forgot who you are. You, we don't do that. Did your mother ever say that to you? We don't do that. We don't say that. We don't talk that way. Oh, we don't go there. See, moms will remind you who you are. They'll say, this is who you are. This is where you came from. This is your family. This is how your family acts. This is how you are going to act because this is who you are. And when you forget who you are, you can veer off course and do almost anything. Got your Bible? If you've got your Bible with you or you've got your phone, you can uh, open up your, turn your phone on and uh, go to the Bible app on your on your phone if you want to, but we're going to go to Genesis, chapter 1 of Genesis, very first book of the Bible. Genesis means beginnings. And I want to remind you as we start this uh, uh, reminder session, what God says about us. Sometimes we forget who we are. And if you forget who you are, if you get amnesia, if you can't remember who you are, like Jason Bourne in the Bourne movies, the trilogy, all three Jason Bourne movies, he, he, he forgets who he is. The whole, all three movies, each movie's like five hours long and there's three of them, so you watch like 15 hours. The whole thing is about 
a guy who can't remember who he is. But he wants to know who he is. He has this sense that he's not who he finds himself being. He shouldn't be doing the things that he does. He doesn't like his responses to circumstances. And he thinks he should do better. Well, why? Because there's something in him that says, this just isn't me. I can't remember who I am. I can't remember who I am. And when you can't remember who you are, we don't do that in our family. Don't you do that. That's not, that's not, now that's not like you. That isn't like you at all. Do you ever anyone say that? Your mom, your dad, your teacher, your coach, you do something, you say, that's not like you. Listen to what he's saying. This is extrapolated to our sin problem. Oh, you, don't, don't be sinning like that. That's not like you. Well, if it isn't like me, then why do I sin? This, this is a complete confusion of basically the doctrine of original sin. That's what's missing here. Why'd you do that? That's not like you at all. You forgot who you were. Well, let's remember who we are. Genesis. You got Genesis? Pretty easy to find. First book in the Bible, chapter 1. Look at verse 27. Just going to give you two verses in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can open up your program inside. There's an insert called Granger Notes, and this scripture's not in there, but you can write down Genesis 1, 27. Then when you get home, you'll remember what we looked at. Genesis 1, 27. The Bible says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made you in the image of God. That means you have creative capacity. You can make choices and decisions that will affect the future. You can choose to do good things or you can choose not to. You can withhold your blessing or you can... He's reading two verses. Genesis chapter 1, 27... Yeah. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Boy, talk about, you know, ripping a verse out of context. I mean, no sooner are we created in the image of God than we rebel against God. Read Genesis chapter 3. Give it. You can go this way or go this way. You are a free moral agent. And in the image of God, you can reflect what's good and loving and kind or not because of your tremendous capacity made in the image of God, male and female. Okay, i got to interrupt. <clears throat> now, I've over and again brought up certain passages of Scripture when talking about the doctrine of original sin. Um, one of the key passages I constantly refer back to is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, the beginning of that chapter. Let me read it right now just uh, to kind of bring it up. But th there's more to this that we're going to need to bring to bear than this uh, passage by itself. Let me read this. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, this is, these are people who are Christians, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of, of disobedience, whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, 
So, I mean, this is a passage that clearly, clearly, clearly teaches that, you know, that we've got a problem here, that all of us by nature were at one time children of wrath, children of the devil, uh, incapable of serving God, incapable of loving God. All of that stuff we are by nature. And when I would refer you back to the um, the lecture that I played on Fighting for the Faith a week ago today on the bondage of the will. Refer back to that and you'll kind of get the bigger picture. Let me <clears throat> Let me read to you a synopsis of the doctrine of original sin from the Lutheran Confessions. This is from the Formula of Concord, our solid declaration, Article 1 on original sin. And this is how the Lutherans uh, understand the scriptural teaching of, um, of the bondage of the will or the doctrine of original sin. So I begin with the affirmative statements. Number one, first it is true, Christians should regard and recognize the actual transgre- uh, transgression of God's commandments as sin. But sin is also that horrible, dreadful, hereditary sickness by which the entire human nature is corrupted. This should, above all things, be regarded and recognized as sin indeed. Yes, it is the chief sin which is a root and fountainhead of all actual sins. By Dr. Luther, it is called a nature sin or person sin. He says this to show that even if a person would not think, speak, or do anything evil, which, however, is impossible in this life since the fall of our first parents, his nature and person are nevertheless sinful. Before God, they are thoroughly and utterly infected and corrupted by original sin as by a spiritual leprosy. Because of this corruption and because of the fall of the first man, the human nature or person is accused or condemned by God's law. So we are by nature the children of wrath, death, and damnation unless we are delivered from them by Christ's merit. Second, the following is also clear and true. As Article uh, 19 of the Augsburg Confession teaches, quote, God is not a creator, author, or cause of sin, by the instigation of the devil through one man, sin, which is the devil's work, has entered the world. Uh, see Romans 5.12 or 1 John 3.7. Even today, in this corruption, God does not create and make sin in us. Original sin is multiplied from sinful seed through fleshly conception and birth from father and mother. God at the present day still creates and makes the human nature in people. <clears throat> Thirdly, uh, third reason doesn't know uh, the third reason doesn't know and understand what this hereditary evil is. As the small called articles say, it must be learned and believed from the revelation of Scripture. The apology briefly summarized this under the following main points: because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, hereditary evil is the guilt by which we are all in God's displeasure and are by nature children of wrath. As the apostle shows, read Romans 5, uh, verses 12 through 14, Ephesians 2, 3, which we just read. Second, original sin is a complete absence or lack of the created state of hereditary righteousness in paradise or of God's image, according to which man was originally created in truth, holiness and righteousness. At the same time, original sin is an inability and unfitness for all the things of God 
or as the Latin word reads, the definition of original sin takes away from unrenewed nature the gifts, the power, and the activity for beginning and accomplishing anything in spiritual matters. This is important. Uh, our, we all are infected with this corrupt nature, this uh, this original corrupt, sinful nature that we inherited from our parents, and they inherited from their parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. This, however, this corruption corrupts us in regard to things pertaining to God. We can still make right decisions for ourselves in this lifetime. We can choose to obey the law or disobey the law. We can choose to take a wife or we can choose to remain single. We can choose to take one job over another, to go to college or not to go to college. All of that is within our purview, but what we can't choose is God. We can't choose to love God and to obey God. Okay, That's completely outside of our nature. Original sin in human nature is not just this entire absence of all good in spiritual divine things. Original sin is more than the lost image of God in mankind. It is, it is at the same time also a deep, wicked, horrible, fathomless, mysterious, an unspeakable corruption of the entire human nature and all of its powers. It is especially a corruption of the soul's highest chief powers in the understanding heart and will. So now, since the fall, a person inherits an inborn wicked disposition and inward impurity of heart and evil lust and tendency. We all, by disposition in nature, inherit from Adam a heart feeling and thought that are according to their highest powers and light of reason naturally inclined and disposed directly against God and his chief commandments. Yes, they are hostile towards God, especially in divine and spiritual things. For in other respects regarding natural outward things that are subject to reason, a person still has the power and ability to a certain degree understanding, although very much weakened, all of, the, all of this, however, has been so infected and contaminated by original sin that it is of no use before God. The punishment and penalty of original sin which God has imposed upon Adam's children and upon original sin are death and eternal damnation. See Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And also other bodily, spiritual, temple, and eternal miseries. These include the devil's tyranny and dominion. So human nature is subject to the devil's kingdom and has been surrendered to his power. It is held captive under his sway, who stupefies and leads astray many a great learned person in the world through dreadful error, heresy, and other blindness, and otherwise rushes people into all sorts of crime. Fifth, this hereditary evil is so great and horrible that only for the sake of the Lord Christ can it be covered and forgiven before God in those who are baptized and believe. Furthermore, human nature, which is perverted and corrupted by original sin, must and can be healed only by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See Titus chapter 3, verse 5. However, this healing is only begun in this life. It will not be perfect until the life to come. These points, which have been quoted here, are uh, only in summary summary. In a summary way, are set forth more fully in the above-mentioned writings and the common confessions of our Christian doctrine. So that's the uh, the Lutheran teaching uh, summary of the doctrine of original sin. And I think the scriptures make it perfectly clear that is the case. Now, let, me, let me do a quick word search in my uh, computer. Let me find this. I want this in the uh, New Testament. 
Okay, yeah, funny enough, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bible, flip on over to that, because there's more... Um, uh, mm-hmm, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll start at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Cross-reference this. Flip on over to Romans chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 14 through 18, <clears throat> which is a cross-reference to this passage. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the, f- the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace uh, uh by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass, brought, and it brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. So it's really clear. I mean, Scripture could not be clear. We are by nature corrupted and condemned. Children of the devil, okay? Our problem is so deep that it affects in in a way that we have no way of fully comprehending. It is completely torqued and messed up our own uh, human nature. It's not that we've forgotten who we are and that all we need to do is remember who we are and then, ta-da, we can, we can now do the right things. This is... Well, what you're hearing Mark Beeson do is give you a very shallow and unbiblical description of the problem of sin. And as a result of it, the solution he's going to offer is equally as shallow and powerless. Let's continue. Men and women, God made humanity, male and female, in, in his image. God made man. It wasn't good for the man to be alone, the Bible says. And so God made woman, male and female, he made them in his own image. It's a fascinating story in the Bible in Genesis, how the man was alone and God made all the animals walk in front of the man. And, and, and the man was trying to connect, trying to get feedback, get some response, you know, and all the animals came by and, and, and the man didn't find any, anything like him. Any connection. He named all the animals. Ant, aardvark. I mean, all the animals. Baboon, cheetah. All the animals come by. He names all the animals. But there's no connection, the Bible says. There's no, like, comparative part. And so God makes woman. And you know what the Bible says in the original text? About the woman, the gift, the gift to the man is the woman. She is the gift to the man. And you know what the Bible says? That the woman 
was, was not like any, anything else in all creation. The woman, this is what it says, was one, in the original text, what it means is, uh, one who talks back. How great is that? It's the gift to the man, the one who talks back. And isn't that wonderful? There's camaraderie and connection and feedback and, and, and complementary uh, styles and, and, and life. So the man and the woman made in the image of God. Don't you forget who you are. You're made in the image of God. Look at chapter 2 in the book of Genesis. And go to verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Just underline it, make a note beside it. This is what the Bible says about who we are. Not only are we made in the image of God, male and female made in the image of God. Community, connection together. Look what it says. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The word breathe and breath can be translated any one of three ways. It can be breathe. It can be breath. It can be wind, or it can be spirit. The same word exactly is translated spirit, or translated wind, or translated... So you could, you could translate this correctly from the original text, and it would say, and God spirited his spirit into the man. God breathed his spirit. So you are not only... Now remember who... What... Okay, now listen carefully. Keep in mind, these passages he's reading from, from Genesis, they are prior to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. These are descriptions, well, what he's describing here is a state of humanity prior to the fall. What we're talking about, don't forget who you are. You're not only made in the image of God, male and female, creative capacity, complementing each other, male and female, but you are literally carriers of the very divine spark and spirit of God. We're, we're carriers, carriers of a divine spark? Uh, no, we're not. We're not carriers of a divine spark, and we're not carriers of the Spirit of God by nature. <clears throat> Let me see here. Um, the words of our Lord, Matthew chapter 12. Let me add a little bit of context to this passage. Verse 34 is the one in particular that I want to get to here. Um, let's see here. Matthew 12. Uh, let's see. 34 is what I want. Yes, that is what I want. Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, Matthew 12. Um, let me read the words of our Lord. Um, backing it up a little bit to verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12 verse 34 says how can you speak good when you are evil and out of the abundance of the heart comes this evil wickedness okay um jesus is making it clear that they are 
by nature evil, and out of their heart comes sinfulness. This is not a matter... If we were all just carriers of the divine spark and the spirit of God, and we've just, oops, forgotten that, and we just need to be reminded, then Jesus wouldn't be talking the way he is. Jesus didn't come and say, oh, I'm here to help you to remember that you're carriers of the divine spark. No, he says, you are evil. And out of your heart, out of the abundance of your heart, this evil and wickedness is coming. Right? Where does Jesus say sin comes from? It comes from our hearts. So we're not by nature anymore carriers of the divine spark or carriers of the spirit of God. We are by nature sold out to sin, death, and the devil. And God has to intervene on our behalf to save us from this. Something wonderful about you. That's why when you answer the survey, Americans today answer this question almost always. The vast majority of Americans say yes when they're asked this question. Here's the question. Generally, when you look at your moral behavior, are you above average in your moral behavior. Most Americans say, oh yes, I'm above average. Now where does that come from? There's something in us that... It comes from the public school system that's basically taught self-esteem and rather than telling people that they're getting incorrect answers on problems, have said, oh that's okay, Johnny, we're going to give you an A for effort because you're special. Cries out to be Good. If Americans are asked, are you basically good or basically evil? Most Americans say, oh, basically good. Where's that come from? Well, listen, friends, there's something in us that wants to be good. Something in us that wants to reflect the image of God. This is completely contrary to the doctrine of original sin. This is Pelagianism, plain and simple. He's teaching heresy. Now, in the fall, when we sinned against God, when we choose to do our own thing and go our own way instead of God's way, then there's a, a brokenness and there's a distortion in the image and the reflection. And so we, we don't always do so well. But I'm telling you, there's still... It, notice how he just soft-sold. Soft I mean, the doctrine of original... We don't always do so well. That is not what the Scriptures teach. It says that we are by nature objects of God's wrath by nature children of the devil and out of our heart comes all kind of evil and wickedness and sin well this wonderful spirit of God at work in us when we don't even realize it theologians call it prevenient grace before you ever realize God's reaching out for you, God is calling, God is wooing, God is bringing you to himself. God wants you to be close. In pre Prevenient grace does not teach anything about us having something good inside of ourselves. Prevenient grace comes from God. Prevenient grace. Before you do anything to deserve grace, God loves you right where you are, just as you are. But oh, I got I to back this up. Listen carefully. These words are so important. Listen, 
grace. Before you ever realize God's reaching out for you, God is calling, God is wooing, God is bringing you to himself. God wants you to be close in prevenient grace. Before you do anything to deserve grace. Before you do anything to deserve grace. Before you do anything to deserve grace. Where in the scripture does it say we do anything to deserve or earn God's grace? If we do something to deserve God's grace, it's God's grace isn't a gift. It's something that you've earned. It's a work. This is this is Pelagian works righteousness. And this is not the Christian doctrine, uh, uh, Christian gospel, Christian anything at this point. This is a different religion that you're hearing. God loves you right where you are, just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And he wants to bring you close. It's a wonderful gift to be loved by God, to be made in the image of God and have the spirit of God. And so we see ourselves as wanting to do good, wanting to be right. It's why... When we we have the law written on our heart, but the law doesn't save us, Mark. Do wrong. If someone catches us, calls us out on it, says, now that's not, is that how you should act? So no. Is that how we are? Is that who we are? Is that what we do in our family? Is that what we, no. And you're ashamed and you're embarrassed. Why? Because you, because you forgot for a moment who you are. And I'm so that's the reason, yeah, I see, when you sin, you just forgot for a moment who you are. When you go to the doctor and the doctor incorrectly diagnoses your disease, then he will give you the wrong solution to what ails you and may, in fact, kill you. When it comes to Christianity, if your pastor has not correctly identified the biblical problem that ails us, namely that we are by nature sinners and objects of God's wrath, then he will give you the wrong solution, as you're hearing right now. Apparently the solution is, you just need to remember who you are. You've apparently forgotten. Hmm. telling you, when you forget who you are, you'll do anything. Because the world has an agenda for you, and it'll press. Oh yeah, see, you're just an, you're a victim of the world. See, if you've forgotten who you are, then the world will make you do bad things, because that's what the world does. Because the world's just bad. But you're you carry a divine spark inside of you, and if you would just remember who you are, then you won't be taken advantage of to do those nasty, bad, horrible, bad things that the world wants you to do. You just need to wake up and remember who you are you into its mold there's like an agenda and if you forget who you are then the world will squeeze you to be something you're not these movies uh the born trilogy here's this guy he forgets who he is and he wants to know he wants to remember because it just seems to him like he's made for more. He needs to know. He wants the truth. And so 
the story unfolds. Watch this. But know all that and not know, not know who you are. How is it possible to have so many talents and gifts and abilities and forget who you really are? How is it possible to be able to do so much and not, not realize who you are? Friends, we know what that's like. We've experienced it. And we see it in our friends and family all, all the time. People with great talents, God-given abilities, God-given capacity... God-given intellect and physical prowess. People can do all kinds of things, but they don't know who they are. And, and since they don't know who they are, they'll do anything. And we See, the reason why you do anything is because you don't know who you are. See, the reason why Tiger slept with all of those women is because he forgot who he was. We find ourselves doing anything, trying to find some meaning or significance in our lives, trying to fulfill some destiny that has been put upon us by the world and the world's agenda. Because we forget God and God's agenda. We forget who we are. And we make the worst mistakes of our lives when we forget who we are. When was your, when was your worst sin? What was your worst choice? Again, I need to be saved from my good works. That's how evil they are. If someone would have caught you and said, is this who you are? Is this really who you want to be? Is this at the core of your being? The answer is, yeah. After the fall, since Adam and Eve, when I sin, it's because of my corrupt, sinful nature. The truth about you? In that moment, you would have said, no, man, no, that's, it's really not me. It's when we forget that we're in trouble. So let's pray. We'll ask God to help us remember who we are. Okay, this is a kind of a mid-sermon prayer. This isn't the end of the sermon, so hang on. And uh, we'll press ahead. God, please, as we bow before you, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us. Help us because, God, if, if you don't hold us near, then we will forget the truth about who we are. We'll forget that we were made in your image. We'll forget that you breathed your spirit, the pneuma, the very breath of God is in us. And we're liable to do anything, trying to find meaning and significance if we, if we forget that our significance comes from you. So God, help us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, inside your uh, program, there is an insert called Granger Notes. And I want you to go to the last verse that's in your Granger Notes. It's, it's actually the, the very last on the second page. It's a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to see what the Bible says is, is really true about you and me. This is true about us. It's in your notes. As you came, I'm sorry, First Peter 2, 4 and 5 and 9 and 10. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, who was rejected by men but chosen by God and is precious to him, you then, you who come to Jesus, you are like living stones and are being built into a spiritual house. You're being built into a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are, underline this, this is great. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people, underline this, belonging to God. The God who created you and gave you life and breathed His Spirit into you and made you in His image. You belong to God so that you can declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you weren't, you weren't. You were not a people. Now you're the people of God. Once you didn't, Know the joy of having received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Look what it says. Chosen, royal, holy, belonging to God. 
You know, when we're ashamed of ourselves, you know, when we're embarrassed. Okay, I got to point something out here. This is the Sunday morning service. This is the seeker service. Leaders at Granger Community Church have told me that if they, I really want to see their church, the people who are the Christians, then I need to come at a different time than Sunday morning. Okay? Let's make sure that we've got a few things straight. If you have your Bible, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to begin at the beginning of it, even though we're in the middle of a thought here, but you know, in verse 1, but that way you can kind of see the transition. Peter says, so put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy. You know what? This is not going to work. I, I've got to back it up. Ahem. <clears throat> Let's see. First uh, Peter chapter one, uh, verse. Uh, let's see here, verse ten. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even the angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the re- revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the times of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from this futile way, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, whom through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, now kind of moving over, let's move forward now. You kind of got the greater context. So Peter in First Peter verse uh, chapter 2 verse 1 says this, So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy. Why? All of this is in light of the gospel, in light of the, uh, the good news of the forgiveness of sins. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, uh, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. 
a royal nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, so not all of us are a chosen royal priesthood, right? This was written to believers. The ones who are believers are the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, a people for God's own possession, those who are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, that's what the text says. For Christians only this is true, and it's not true prior to our regeneration and rebirth uh, via the working of the Holy Spirit. Embarrassed when we forget. And we do things inconsistent with royalty. We forget we were chosen. We forget that we're the, we're the children of the king. We forget that we're precious, that we have sacred worth. When do you allow yourself to be used? When you forget that you're a person of sacred worth, that you are made in the image of God, that the, the maker of the universe loves and cares for you. When you forget, then you let yourself... Okay, something I was thinking about listening to this again. This is not biblical repentance that you're hearing, okay? When you've done wrong, when you've transgressed God's law, biblical repentance is not going, oh, oops, I forgot who I was. Oh, sorry, I forgot that I was chosen and royal and everything else. I, I was trying to get my worth. No, that's not what biblical repentance is. Let me read from, again, from the Lutheran Confessions, from the Small Called Articles, Article Number 3 on Repentance. It uh, it talks about, uh, it gives us a section that Luther had written, and let me read this to you. The New Testament keeps and urges this office of the law, as St. Paul does when he says, "...the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men." Also, the whole world may be accountable to God. No human being will be justified in God's sight. And Christ says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, John 16, 8. This is God's thunderbolt. By the law, God strikes down both obvious sinners and false saints. He declares no one to be in the right, but drives them altogether to terror and despair. This is the hammer. As Jeremiah says, quote, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. This is not active contrition or manufactured repentance. It is passive contrition, true sorrow of heart, suffering, and the sensation of death. 
This is what true repentance means. Here a person needs to hear something like this, quote, you are a, you are all of no account, whether you are obvious sinners or saints in your own opinions. You have to become different from what you are now. You have to act differently than you are now acting, whether you are as great, wise, powerful, and holy as you can be, here no one is godly. But in this office of the law, the New Testament immediately adds the consoling promises of the grace of grace through the gospel. This must be believed, as Christ declares, repent and believe the gospel. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That is, become different, act differently, and believe my promise. John the Baptist Preceding Christ is called a preacher of repentance, but this is for the forgiveness of sins. That is, John was to accuse all and convict them of being sinners. This is so that they can know what they are before God and acknowledge that they are lost, so they can be prepared for the Lord to receive grace and expect and expect and accept Him uh, from Him the forgiveness of sins. This is what Christ himself says. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Whenever the law alone exercises its office without the gospel being added, there is nothing but death and hell, and one must despair as Saul and Judas did. St. Paul says, through sin, the law kills. On the other hand, the gospel brings consolation and forgiveness. It does not. It does so not just in one way, but through the word and the sacraments and the like, as we will discuss later. As Psalm 130, verse 7 says, against the dreadful captivity of sin, quote, with the Lord is plentiful redemption. Okay? So... What you're hearing here, you apparently waking up and going, whoops, this is not how my family behaves. I'm royal. I'm, oh, silly me. I'm chosen. I'm, I'm special and I'm precious in God's sight. This is not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance and what the Bible means by repentance is seen by those who are crushed by the preaching of the law through the preaching of John the Baptist. And then the gospel comes and offers the forgiveness of sins. This repentance that Beeson is preaching, there's no sorrow or contrition for sin. It's just that, whoops, I forgot who I was. Silly me. That wasn't me. Oh, I I must have had a momentary lapse of, of memory. And, oh, I was taken advantage of by the world. Silly me. This isn't repentance, and as a result of it, the true forgiveness of sins is not really offered. Be used, and you use others. It says once you were not a people, and you hadn't received mercy. You know, the Bible says we've all sinned, every one of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So, Right. Can you explain that, please, Mark? We know what it is to be ashamed and embarrassed and aimless and wandering. We know what it is... I mean, he said the word, but, I mean, we're not getting even the remotest idea of what that really means. Wow. To be unforgiven, we know what it is to try and hide and cover up, hoping no one finds out. We all know what that's like. And the whole time you're ashamed and hiding and trying to cover up and hope no one finds out, that whole time, it just doesn't feel like the way it ought to be. It's like, I don't want this. I hate this. I wasn't made for this. 
It's because God made you in his image and God loves you and God doesn't want you to be like that either. And so God the Father came in his son Jesus and the love of God came from the Father to, through his son who died on the cross at the point of our deepest need. The Father's love intersects our lives at the point of deepest need. And there we see the cross. That's where God meets us with mercy and grace. And we are forgiven. Okay, we're getting a gospel nugget here. I fear that this is all that we're going to hear about the gospel. God loves us too much to leave us undone and ashamed and embarrassed. And so we are chosen, even though we don't deserve it. We are called and brought into the family. We become a holy people, a royal people, a people belonging to God, living in the light, not in the dark, because we're made in the image of God and because we have the Spirit of God moving and wooing and calling in us. We have to learn that we need God. And friends, I just want to remind you uh, that if you'll remember who you are and who God is, it'll help you stay the course. It'll help you stay on mission, right? Moses had to find that out. You can see in your notes, I gave you the whole text from the third chapter of Exodus, which is a marvelous story of Moses, who was 40 years in the palace in Egypt, raised in the palace like Pharaoh's own son. Pharaoh's daughter brought him into the, into the, into the palace when he was just an infant. Um, but at the age of 40... Okay, I want you to listen carefully, see if you can spot the Bible twist. I'll point it out, but see if you can catch it. Moses realized who he was. That he wasn't an Egyptian. That he, that he was really of the people of the Hebrew nation. He was really of the people who were the slaves in Egypt. And there was a conflict, and Moses fled Egypt at the age of 40 and went south down the Sinai Peninsula to the land of Midian, and, and there he became a shepherd. And for 40 years he wandered in the wilderness. 40 years. And then, at the base of Mount Sinai... Almighty God called Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to remember who you are and I want you to remember who I am. Remember the story? It's all right there in your notes. But okay, did you catch it? Moses, I want you to remember who you are and remember who I am. Really, that's what's going on in Exodus chapter 3? Can you point that out to me in the text, Mark? But it's a fantastic accounting of the bush that caught on fire but wasn't burned up. And Moses turned aside to see why the bush was burning but wasn't being burned. And, and, the, and, the, and the Lord God called to Moses from that bush, from that fire, the fire of God, the voice of God said, Moses, you better take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And Moses suddenly was reminded of who he was. He's one of God's people. The text doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Moses was suddenly reminded of who he was. <sighs> Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness to come to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will not turn aside, I, I will turn aside to see this great sight and why the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off, 
the place you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. The way you hear Beeson tell the story, you, all of a sudden you go, oh, now I remember who I am. I'm, a, I'm of the people of God. Wow, I've forgotten. All these 40 years I was out wandering and being a shepherd and I've forgotten. Thank you for reminding me, God. By the way, you cannot teach sound biblical doctrine by teaching false biblical doctrine. You cannot correctly teach the Bible by twisting the Bible. You cannot correctly exegete the Bible by engaging in eisegesis. It's impossible. What you're hearing is not sound biblical doctrine, at least from Mark Beeson. He was called to higher purposes than to live a pagan life without God. And God had a mission for Moses. Remember how old he was? When the bush caught on fire, Moses was 80. That's when his ministry started. Some of you right now, you're going, I'm, I'm 14, seems to me like God. Come on, God, let's go. I'm ready. I'm 14. Oh, baby. God may want to teach you a couple of things as, as you move towards changing the world. God taught Moses, though Moses... As you move towards changing the world. Really, that's what we're supposed to do is be world changers? Where's that taught in the Bible again? Moses didn't even know it. For 80 years. And then he called him and he said, I want you to go back to Egypt, tell the Pharaoh, let all the, all the slaves go. I'm not down with slavery. I'm not down with oppression. I'm not putting up with it anymore. I've heard the prayers of my people. Tell Pharaoh to let him go. So Moses went back and you know the story. Well, before Moses decided to obey God, before Moses really remembered, oh yeah, that's who I am. I'm God's man. He said, and if you'll underline verse 11, see verse 11 in chapter 3? He said, God, who am I? <laughs> it's, like, it's like Jason Bourne, only 4,000 years ago. Who am I, God? Who am I? And God says, I'll tell you who you are. I decide who you are. And you are mine. You are chosen. You are... What? Did he take drugs prior to preaching this sermon a royal and i'm calling you to lead a holy nation and god said let me remind you who i am because i am god and you're not i'm god and you're not and there are no other gods like me i am you remember who you are and who i am friends wasn't it good the day you realized you where where in exodus chapter three does it is God saying I here's I need to remind you who you are I need to remind you who I am Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 I continue the Lord said I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, out of, out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and you, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. 
Moses is saying, man, who am I that I should do something like this? It's not like he went, oh, now I remember who I am. He said, no, who am I? And God said, doesn't matter. I'm with you. I'm going with you. And you'll know that I brought that, you, that I'm with you because you're going to bring the children of Israel out here and they will worship me on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, well, if I if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, and he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor any uh, any woman who lives in her house for silver or gold or jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters so that you shall plunder the Egyptians. Sounds like a great plan, right? Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, Well, it's a staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he, <sighs> so he gives him two miraculous signs. The Lord gives Moses two miraculous signs. His, his staff turns into a snake, and his hand becomes leprous, and then it is no longer leprous and is restored and then we read in verse 10 but moses said the lord oh my lord i am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but i'm slow of a speech and tongue and the lord said to him who has made man's mouth who makes man him mute or deaf or seeing or blind is it not i the lord nowhere in exodus 3 or 4 do we have the lord reminding moses about who he is, how he's royal and chosen and all that kind of stuff. Instead, the Lord keeps pointing to Moses, pointing Moses to the Lord. It says it doesn't matter who is the one who made man able to speak me. I'm going with you, me. I I'm that's the important thing. This isn't a story about Moses remembering what he had forgotten, like Jason Bourne did in The Bourne Identity. You weren't God. You ever, feel, you ever feel real responsible? Feel like you're... Listen, when I, the day I resigned as general manager of the universe, I just took a whole weight off my shoulders. Life became, you know, more focused and easier for me when I resigned as general manager of the universe. And I said, you know what? I'm not God. God, you be God. I'll be me. I, I know who I am. I am your child. I am part of your work. I'm to give you glory. That's what I'm about. I'm just going to follow Jesus. You be God, I'll be me. It changed things. 
when I said that to God. It changed my life. And I was able to go forward with some confidence because I knew God had clarified who I was. God had clarified my mission and my purpose. That little video we made about Mark Beeson playing, is Mark Beeson in the Beeson Ultimatum, on mission. You know, we're, we're all on mission. God has a mission and a purpose for each of our lives. And the challenge is to stay true to the mission because, now listen, the world wants to force you into its mold. And it's so clear that even in the Bible, the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says the world has an agenda. It's like you're in the world's program. And if you don't have the strength of God in your life, and, the, and if you don't remember who you... Victim mentality, as if, uh, well, all of our sin is just caused by outside forces. ...you are, then the world will force you into its mold. The world will get you doing things that you would never do if you remembered, oh, no, wait, this is who I am. That's what happened with Jason Bourne in the movies. I think it's one of the reasons we connect with these movies so much. We see in these movies these storylines where here's this Jason Bourne guy. He forgets who he is. And then the program, he, the program forces him into this mold. And he becomes someone that he's not. He becomes someone who will cheat and lie and steal and murder. Wait a minute. Back the truck up. What did I just say? Oh, isn't that very much like the world in which we live? If you forget who you are and you forget who God is and you forget your mission for God, then the world will very quickly have you lying and cheating and betraying and stealing and committing adultery and betraying your vows. and I mean, uh, because that's the way the world works. You forget who you are. You'll yeah, see, the world will do that to you. I mean, you're just an innocent victim of the world if you f accidentally forget who you are. You'll do anything. So, born is in the program, and the program forces him into the mold, and he becomes, well, a bad guy. Because he forgets who he is. And he becomes whatever the program molds him to become. Just like we can if the world has its way with us. Watch this. One of the, the, the best scenes in that uh, movie for me personally. Because Landy, the blonde lady in the, in the movie, wants the truth. And she's looking for the truth, and she's trying to get, get her mind around it. At the same time, she's part of the program that is controlling and has controlled all these years. She says that line. Come on, people. All these years, we ran his life with total control. Doesn't it sound like the program of the world? Doesn't it sound like the enemy of Christ? Doesn't it sound like what is evil? All these years, we had total control of her life. All these years, can't you just hear the minions of hell chatting about the way they have controlled and, and directed and molded the lives of people who fell for the lie? That you don't belong to God, that there is no God, that God doesn't care about you, that Jesus isn't anyone important, just another religious leader. We fall for the lie and we're molded by the program of the world. And can't you hear the conversation? Come on. We've had control all these years. We should be able to manipulate and keep these folks away from the truth. I love this part of this film because it so resonates for me with the truth about our lives and our world 
It's amazing how we lost our way. Bit by bit, we forgot who God is. Remember, God had to say to Moses, Moses, this is who you are. Who am I, Lord? I'll tell you who you are. And I'll remind you who I am. I am God. Yeah, funny enough, the Exodus 3 and 4 story doesn't say any of that. You can't teach sound biblical doctrine by using false doctrine. You can't teach correct biblical, what the Bible says correctly and exegetically by inserting things into the text that are not there. God, follow me, trust me, depend on me. And Moses did, changed and changed history because he did. But we have forgotten who God is. We've lost our way. We forget that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ and we are loved by Christ who gave his life for us. We forget. We don't even talk about Jesus very much. We, we uh, find that it's more difficult to talk about Jesus than it is to reference God. Because people say God all the time. God this, God that, God, 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 God. And if you call someone on it and say, are, are you praying right now? They go, what? You just said God. Oh, well, I didn't mean anything by it. Do you know, do you know what taking the Lord's name in vain really means? It means saying God and meaning nothing. It means taking the name of Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, and making the name nothing. And the way you do that is by falsely teaching things about God or saying things are from God when they're not. Taking it in vain. We have so diminished the name of God that you can talk about God in polite company. God, 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 God. Use the force, Luke. Because God kind of doesn't, the word God doesn't mean anything anymore in our culture. You hear God all the time. But Jesus, the name above all names. Say... Jesus is Lord sometime at the mall while you're buying shoes. See if you get a different different response. Say, Son of God, Lord Jesus, sometime. Just out and about. See what your response is. That's why we don't hear people talk about Jesus very much. And it's why many of us, to our shame, have backed down from Naming Jesus as King and Lord. Because it well, causes a ripple. So we just kind of back it down and talk about God. Amazing how we have forgotten who God is. But when you forget who God is, you forget whose image you're made in. When you forget that God revealed himself in his son Jesus Christ, you forget how much you are loved by Almighty God. And you forget your story. You forget your storyline. You forget your part in the story of God's redemption. and My part in the story of God's redemption, I'm the guy who's dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, you see, you know, Jesus, or God, demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I, I and me and you and everybody else, we play the role of the people dead in trespasses and sins, the rebels. And God redeems us and saves us. That's our role. Glory, you forget. And then you'll do anything because the world forces you into its mold. 
You're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, but you're forced into the mold of the world. We've got to remember who Jesus is. We've got to remember our place in the story of God. Look in your notes at Matthew chapter 6. No, we don't need to remember who Jesus is. We need to be taught who he is. He needs to be proclaimed and placarded as the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, and very God of very God, begotten, not made, who came down, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, was made man, crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried, and rose again on the third day for our justification. You don't, it's not that we've forgotten that. We don't know it unless somebody preaches it to us. A remarkable passage of scripture where Jesus comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the son of man is? And they said, oh, uh, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. You know, others say you're Jeremiah. I don't know, maybe one of the prophets. So people say all kinds of things about you, Jesus. How about you? Now listen, listen to this. Underline it. How about you? Who do you say I am? Friends, this is the most important question you will... So am I supposed to wait until I recover my memories to answer this question, or should I go to the Scripture? ...will ever be asked. Jesus, the Son of God, the risen Christ who defeated death and hell and the grave, asks, who do you say that I am? You. Not others, not what you've heard, but... Who do you, have you answered this question? Who do you say Jesus is? Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, Peter, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, which means the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Friends, when we remember who God is, and that the love of the... We're supposed to remember that. We're dead in trespasses and sins, and we're supposed to remember that? Oh, for... Oh. The Father was revealed in the Son. The Son of the living God died on the cross at the point of our deepest need. When we remember that He died to save us from shame and guilt, so that we could remember who we are, made in the image of God, that the Spirit of God is at work in us. When that all comes about inside of us and we say, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, it changes everything. Your story changes in that moment. Your future, your plans, your relationships, your hopes and your dreams and expectations, it all changes. The shame and guilt and sorrow of a broken past can fall away because you know you're forgiven by Jesus Christ. And as you face the world that wants to press you into its mold, come on, cheat, lie, steal. Again, I'm hearing something about the cross and forgiveness, but the problem is, is the... The problem is the world is telling me to cheat, lie, and steal. I'm a victim, not the perp. It's what everyone does. Come on, you don't need to be faithful to your covenant. Don't save. Don't be responsible with your money. Don't pay off your debts. Don't do what's right. Do what you want. What's right can be so difficult. The world has an agenda, friends. There is a, there's a program. 
And we have been controlled by the program too long. And it is absolutely time for men and women who want to remember who they are, made in the image of God, filled with the Spirit of God, loved by God, forgiven by Christ. It is time for men and women of faith to start fighting sin in your life, your own life. You know, if you've you've been around very long, you know, the first thing a lot of people want to do is fight sin in someone else's life. You're a bad, you're a, well, you're a wretch. I can't even believe the roof didn't fall in when you came to church. So the solution is I need to fight sin. Oh, oh. What, what, again, review for me, what was Jesus doing on the cross again? Jesus had some things to say about that, you know, looking at the speck in your brother's eye and missing the beam in your own eye. It's time to fight sin, sloth, pride, lust, arrogance. It's time to fight and just say, I'm not going to have any more of this. I'm done with this. What about being truly forgiven? The solution sounds like I... You know, it's all that sin that's coming at me from the world, but I've got to fight and resist it So, because i got to remember who I am. It's like, uh, is this even half right? How should I continue? Why should I continue to sin? I, I, should I sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Or don't you know that those of us who have been baptized in Christ... We've been baptized into his death and resurrection. We are dead now to sin. How can we continue to live in it? The solution is not me fighting. The solution is Christ. And the solution is what the scriptures say. The reality that exists as me who is a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, my heart circumcised by Christ, He's the one who's saved me. And he's the one who justifies and he's the one who sanctifies. We are to abide in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He's conquered sin, death, and the devil, and we are to abide in him and to continue to abide in his word, and he will sanctify us. And yes, we do participate. There's some level of participation in our sanctification. But Luther likened it to a flea riding on a horse. I am going to get my life back where it ought to be. I remember who I am. And in God's family, we don't do that. We don't talk that way. We don't say that. We don't live like that. That's the way other families may do it. But in God's family, remember who I am. In God's family, we don't do that. We do this. This is how we talk. This is how we love. This is how we serve. This is how we give. Because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Savior of my soul and yours. You say, but Mark, boy, you know, I, I mean, we're in here right now. Wow. When I go out there, you don't know, I'm going back to work with the same folks. And I'm going back to the same friends. 
back to the same school. I'm going back to the same spouse. Have you met my spouse? So I may be all fired up to live for Jesus, but it's hard out there. It's really difficult. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to teach you this simple truth so that you can stay the course. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you hear me? Listen, listen, listen. I'm almost done. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that doesn't mean, you mean I can fly? No. If I say, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you think you can fly? Then you, you should talk to someone. Get some help. That's not what that means. You mean that I know everything I can do? I can do all things? I could be like in the NBA and still play the flute with, with the Boston Pops? No. No, you're tone deaf and four foot three. You... Well, you read the verse out of context. No wonder people would be asking questions like that. You can't do either one of those. Well, then what does it mean I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? What does it mean? It means if you will remember who you are and who God is. If you will remember you're made in the image of God. That's funny. Philippians doesn't say any of that. You're to reflect his glory, that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that the spirit of God is at work in you and God will help you. And you know Jesus is the son of the living God. And you're following him. If that's true, then you can say, I know because I know Christ. He is God. I'm not. I know the Lord and I'm not God. And I'm following him. And I can do all the things I need to do through Christ who strengthens me. When I need to tell the truth in love, I'll be able to do both. I won't just say, you look like, well, you look horrible. That's true. But did you, did you have to say it that way, mean person? Can't you be nice, loving? You could say, I think we could accessorize and make improvements. See how much better that is? Are you lying? No, you're helping. Truth in love. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means I can tell the truth when I need to tell the truth. I can say no to temptation when I need to say no. I can say yes to doing the right thing. Yes to saving money. Yes to being responsible. Yes to fulfilling my obligations. Yes in my marriage. No to adultery. No to lying. No to stealing. No to cheating. I can do what I need to do. I can do all the things I'm supposed to do through Christ who strengthens me. And if you've ever tried to live in the program of the world without the strength of Christ, you've already experienced the crushing pressure of the program of the world, which will reconfigure your... There we go again. Yeah, it's that world that makes you sin. Yeah, nothing bad inside of you. It's all that world. You just forget. Yeah, you, you apparently just suffer from memory lapses. You're thinking until you are as lost and undone as this Jason Bourne character. But he wanted the truth. You wanted the truth, and I'm telling you, it's why many of us are here. Because we don't want to live in the program of the world anymore. We want to know who we are and who God is, and we want our lives to count. So here it is. You are loved by God. You are royal, chosen, beloved of God. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad to hear that my sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. This is good news. At least we're getting a little bit more gospel. Live like it. And it just turned into the law. Stop saying, I'm just a sinner. We're all sinners. If you're still a sinner, stop it. What do, you, what do you mean you're still... 
You're not a sinner if you're following Christ. You're a Christian child of God who sometimes might sin. Sometimes, really, sometimes. Occasionally, what, what, once a month, once a week, once a day, occasionally. What's Define that. But that's way different from being a sinner who sometimes accidentally does something right. You see the difference? Funny, the Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Was he lying? Come to Christ. Trust Christ. And fight for your soul and the Trust him for what? If I'm the one who has to fight for my soul, what am I trusting in Jesus for again? soul of this community and your family fight for what's good and right and true and let's let's pray god god's kingdom comes in us so that we can share it rather than praying everyone else will straighten god help those people over there they're a mess how about this god help me i stand before you in need of grace oh god help me oh good a finally a perp prayer good Yes, God help me, I'm a sinner. Oh, wait, I can't say that. To stay true, you are God, I will follow you. What if we prayed like that, friends? What if I prayed like that right now? I'd like to. Let's bow. Oh, man, this thing was a convoluted mess. Folks, listen. We don't suffer from a memory lapse problem. We suffer from the fact that we are by nature sinners. And that remains true until we die or until Christ returns and we are resurrected with brand new sinless bodies. In this in the meantime, we get to undergo sanctification. But the perfection part, the sinless perfection part, part doesn't doesn't happen. This it doesn't happen. Not this side of the resurrection. That comes when Christ resurrects us on the last day. You get the wrong diagnosis. You get the wrong solution. We heard a couple smatterings here and there about forgiveness, but it didn't make any sense. The reason it didn't make any sense is because the sin problem wasn't biblically handled correctly. But I thank God that I can pray like the Apostle Paul, that I am the chief of sinners. And that it's purely by the grace of God, won by Christ on the cross and what he's done, that I can stand before God, not as one who needs to be ashamed and shirk back in fear, but as one who has been redeemed, justified, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And though my sins be as scarlet, Christ's blood has made me white as snow. It makes you as white as snow. In this side of the resurrection, we, like the Apostle Paul, struggle with our sinful flesh. It's a daily, daily battle. But God is the one who gives us the victory, and our sin has been conquered by Christ. We could look to him, abide in him, and trust in him, and daily 
we pray. Daily we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Daily we pray, forgive us our trespasses. For daily, our trespasses and our sins must be forgiven. We need to know that they are forgiven in Christ. If Jesus didn't know that we sin daily and sin much, he wouldn't told us to pray for forgiveness for our trespasses daily. Think about it. We're up at the end of the program. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Folks, what'd you think? We'd love to get your feedback. You can email me, my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.